0: A few years ago, we rented a, a house right across the street from White High School. It was, it was an awesome house for our family. We had 20 acres, so I got a bunch of sun, so it was it was a great place to run around and not break anything. We had uh, a fox squirrel that went through the trees, so that was awesome. It was this never-ending quest to see it and then kill it, which is just normal boy activity, right? Uh, I've got five sons, in case you didn't know. So when I read the story about Jacob, the father of Joseph with his 10 older brothers and one younger brother. I, I, I know a little bit about Boy House. We, uh, Cheryl and I went away on an anniversary trip and left a few of the sons in charge. Some of y'all know how this might have gone. <laughs> and Cheryl kind of gave me a little talk as we're pulling back down the long driveway to our house about what she had told the boys they were supposed to do. And we walked in the door. Some of you parents, you've experienced this. We walked in the door, and it was not done. Matter of fact, everything was undone. And there's a little guilty look on the brothers' faces. And then Cheryl gave me the look. And some of the dads in the room, you know what this look is. It means I better, I better bring it right now or it's going to cost me deeply. And so right in that moment, and some of you guys know how this works, I got this special tone that I can turn on in certain moments that makes my wife really love me. And uh, I turned it on. And the first thing I could think of is, I'll tell you what's going to happen right now. We're going to cut those 20 acres with that push mower right there. And the boys are like looking at me, knowing better not, don't ask me a question. It's not a good time to ask your father a question. And they're like, yeah. And I said, the Clemson game's on tomorrow at noon. All 20 acres better be cut or there will be no game. And so sure enough, well, they fired up the 22-inch, just for the record, the 22-inch push bowler. And one at a time, they rotated across the yard. It was awesome because the 17-year-old really wanted to see the game. So he would sub himself in and sprint as long as he could. (laughs) I don't really think he cut the grass. Like, he ran over the grass, but he was running too fast for it to actually cut. (laughs) And they, they cut the whole 20 acres in order to see the Clemson game the next day. My wife, it was just this great, like, That's a healthy family, right? Did I offend y'all? Like, this is what dads are supposed to do. You're supposed to raise the bar on occasion, and it holds this family to a really healthy spot. Sometimes we're too harsh. Most of the time in our culture, we're too soft. It was this uh, moment where I blessed my boys. I didn't know it. It was all I could think of at the moment, right? And I knew if I didn't, I was going to pay myself. So I just deferred the payment to them and let them, and let them get it done. And they, now, what, you know what they do when they tell their friends stories about growing up in my house? They talk about cutting 20 acres, and they're proud of it because nobody else had to do that growing up. So there's like this pride in the home that is healthy. It sets you apart in some way, and you can look around a little bit and, and pound on your chest. Like that's what the Reeves boys do. When we read this story in Genesis, you got all these brothers. I want you to feel that, right? You got 12 brothers, this wide span of ages. I want you to feel like there's, there's 12 personalities, Right? I had one son pushing the mower like this because he was so young he could barely push. And you got the older brother trying to step in and do his thing, and he's yelling at the young. It's just normal family life, right? It's, it feels right. And when you open this passage in chapter 42, which is where we are at this week, it feels like a normal family. He says, when Jacob heard the grain of was available in Egypt, I don't know if you guys remember this from last week, there's a famine going on. In other words, it's the 1930s in the United States of America, it's the Great Depression. Nobody has anything to eat. And he told his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? Just normal father banter. (laughs) Watch out, look at that. I know you're hungry. Have you heard there's grain in Egypt? Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we'll die. Not real sweet about it. Looks at these 10 sons of his and tells them to go get something to eat. And then the very next verse, you move from feeling kind of like normal boy family to Ah, jacked up family to dysfunctional family, something lots of us know a lot about very quickly in this passage you're going to feel stuff this is a message certainly out of the narrative of the Bible that I believe God has recorded for you to feel not to fact check not to line up your facts and get them all perfect but to actually feel it on your inside so I want to pray for us because the more I read this story, at first, I'm like, why, why are we teaching this passage? I didn't quite get it at first. And the more I read it, the more I felt it, and I, I really want us to feel it, I think that feeling it might change us. Let me pray. Well, you know us, we hustle. Lots of us have already hustled all week. And... Coming to church is kind of a place to slow down, and yet uh, often we wall ourselves off from being able to feel stuff. Some of us have been hurt so bad in a lifetime that we don't really want to feel anymore. Some of us have felt way too much, too many emotions in our longer, short lives, and we, we really don't want to feel anything else. Lord, I know you teach us a lot just by facts. You teach us a lot by your example and the modeling of Jesus. And sometimes you teach us with, with our feelings. I pray you cut into us even today and help us feel the story that you trusted us with. I pray as we watch Joseph, we watch his brothers, that you would uh, move our hearts. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very interesting start to verse 3. So Joseph's 10 older brothers, what's really interesting is generally they're referred to as Jacob's sons. Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel. Some of you guys know the story. They'll be called Israel's sons. But in this passage, the writer Moses, a Hebrew himself who grew up in Egypt, he says, So Joseph's 10 older brothers, if you're reading this story, you can just feel it. out the gate. You remember these guys. If you've been with us for a few weeks, you can remember them from a few weeks previous. These are the same 10 brothers that threw him in a pit. Right? It's been 20 years. They threw him in a pit and they left him there. And then they came back and got him. And they sold him into slavery. Those same 10 brothers. It's not like just back on the ranch. Everything's fine at the house. That's who's there. You, you read the passage, you can feel it a little bit. You, you start to feel the tension if you know the story. Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy a grain. Can you feel it? You're like, who else is in Egypt? Joseph. You can feel it. Any, any good movie will, would set this perfect with, with some music. of You're wondering if they're going to meet. Any, any love story always has the two lovers get separated for a while, and they, they come into a town, and you're like, are they going to see each other on that street? And then they always miss. I hate that. And the, that's the Hallmark movie. I have seen a couple. I'm a, I mean, you got to do these things. But like, like they don't see each other. And then you're like, oh, bro, we got to wait like another hour before they see each other. It's, but there's, there's anticipation as you read this passage. They're going to see each other. You can feel it. But Jacob, the father, wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear that some harm might come to him. Again, you you, you feeling It's going back in the story. Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. When Benjamin was born, Benjamin is his only full brother, blood brother. When Benjamin was born, Rachel, Joseph's mother, died. And so you got, like as Moses is writing this story, he's writing it for me and you to look at it and feel, feel that. This is Joseph's baby brother. But they're not going to let him come. And, and, and you actually start to feel a little bit of Jacob's, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, he's just not a great dad. You feel feel he's still showing favoritism. And uh, he's still messing up the family. And, and all of us dads do that at one level or another, some more than others. Next week we're going to talk a little bit more about that. You can feel that in the passage. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy, along with others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. You can, you can feel them if you're watching the movie Walking in the Gates of the Town. Where their younger brother, as we know, lives. They're walking in with lots of people. It's a famine. People all over the land are starving to death. So they're coming to town. They're bringing whatever they got. Now they're not bringing cash. They're not bringing a credit card, right? They're bringing goats and and sheep and anything they can trade for grain. So they're eating meat, but they also want grain. So they're they're, they're trading. They're bartering for grain. And so they come into town. Verse five and verse six says uh, it, it, it brings Joseph. And since Joseph was the governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was. To him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. They said, From the land of Canaan. We've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And you've got the tension in this story that you could. Cut with a knife. All of this hate. Do you remember this? Why did they throw Joseph into the pit and then sell him in slavery? Because their father had showed favoritism to him and they hated him. And so they they faked his death and took it back to his father. And I don't know if you remember this, but last week, if you were with us the previous chapter joseph has been promoted he's gone from being a slave sold by his brothers to jail and and, uh, falsely put in jail to now being the prime minister and if you want to read it it's this shocking story he's been promoted to prime minister by interpreting dreams and you you have to read it to get it all he's the prime minister of, of the whole land he's but at the same time he's still egyptian He's got on an Egyptian ring. He's got on an Egyptian robe. He's got an Egyptian chariot. He's been forced to marry an Egyptian lady. And uh, he's been given an Egyptian name. He's still all Egyptian, but then he has two sons. You remember this? It's the first time he gets to make a decision. And what does he do? He names his sons, Hebrew names, true to the thoughts about God that he was taught by his father, who was taught by his father, who was taught by Abraham. And he names that first son. Anybody remember? Manasseh. He names him Manasseh, Hebrew word, real close to the Hebrew word, which means to forget. The Bible actually records in the chapter before, it says he named him Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Can you feel it? So he names this little baby, and I don't know about you, but I've had six little babies. And, uh, man, when I'm really stressed, it was always fun to pull up one of them little babies and hold them because they got no idea, right? Like they are just going to do their thing. They're going to cry or love me or, or they don't know. I don't hit the notes when I sing. Now I just, just enjoy. I can imagine Joseph holding that little baby, just repeating his name, Manasseh. I, I forget all that. There's a guy named Bodie Bauckham. He's, uh, African-American uh, theologian, and he says, he was explaining the definition, and he actually says, that means I let that stuff go. Manasseh, I let that stuff go. My dad was passive. He's never come to look for me. Manasseh, I let that stuff go. My 10 brothers sold me into slavery. Manasseh, I let that stuff go, right? I hope last week when you heard that, you said Manasseh to something. You claimed the power of God to let something go. It's a powerful, powerful picture. And like you feel good about it at the end of chapter 41 and you roll into 42, you're like, Joseph's finally made it. He's named his son Manasseh. He's let some of that stuff go. He's got it off of him. He's got this separation and an arm's distance from his family. And, and somehow, despite their, their mistreatment of him, he has no hate for them. He's got no list against them. He seems to have this freedom by letting that stuff go. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the 10 brothers. Walk right in his presence. I wrote in my notes. Now oh, forgive me. Ten pieces of crap walk right in front of him. Right, Danny Reagan. We call them scumbags. Right? They, they they walk right in front of him. Here they are, and, and you want to think good of them. It's really it's really interesting to watch it be read by Jewish folks who could track their lineage back to one of the ten scumbags, or to Joseph. Or to Benjamin back at the house. Tell them the story so, those, so the readers or the listeners, the Jewish audience, they're actually connecting with all the characters in this chapter. And I want us to. I want us to connect with all the characters. The scumbags and Joseph. And Joseph has got to be torn up inside. The passage is actually going to explain that to us. As we read it, he recognizes them. You ever been like this? You ever been at a food line and seen somebody and you recognize them and they didn't recognize you the first time? So you run down the aisle because you just don't feel like talking. Maybe I'm the only bad person like that. I'll do that on occasion. But anyway, Joseph is doing this on purpose. He's obviously he's got his head shaved. He's 20 years older. He was 17. Last time they saw him, he's 20 years older. He's wearing Pharaoh, all of Pharaoh's clothes and Egyptian garb. And so he looks different. So he didn't have to disguise himself so much. But he literally has slave to make a way for the world to eat, and here the ten scumbags are, and they want food. I am shocked, I hope you are, by his posture of reconciliation. I had a country station on. I think it was yesterday. I had a country station on. I hadn't heard this song before. It's by Gabby Barrett, and it's called I Hope She Cheats. I looked it up. I had to Google it because I don't know all these things. Said, it is a rough song. Like the whole song, she's mad at her ex, and she's, he, she is dreaming in her head of her ex falling in love, and then the person who he's in love with cheating and, and breaking his heart. That's, the whole song's about that. I'm like, whoo, this girl, she's mad. But as you listen to it, you're like... I agree with her. I hope so, too. Who is this rascal? I want to find him somewhere. Kick his tail, right? Like, you, you kind of relate. Every time a movie, they'll do this in the movies. They'll grab you by the end. You're like, kill him. Like, like you you, you grab. There's, there's no reconciliation in us. It's like all this justice and sometimes worse, revenge. This revenge should be brought on, this man or woman. You feel that. The, the writer wants you to feel that. Like, I, the more I read it, I, I want to say, Ten scumbags. I just want us to get what Joseph's looking at. But he's got this posture, and I want you to wrestle with it inside, this posture of reconciliation. This is uh, Black History Month. Uh, we've been celebrating in our country for since 1976. Gerald Ford actually made it a month. Prior to that, uh, 1969, Kent State, a bunch of students at Kent State kind of, Staged this thing where they had Black History Month, and prior to that, they actually called it Negro History Week. It was in 1926, and they took the week when Lincoln was born to uh, February 12th, and Fred, Frederick Douglass was born February 14th, and 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 he would. They made that Black History Week, and we've expanded it over years. Now, by the way, you ought to read Frederick Frederick Dusk, Douglass's uh, biography. It is Rid- what a stud, ridiculous, strong man. So we blocked out this month. And for some of us, certainly those of us that are in the majority in this country, it doesn't always make sense. You hear some of the most ignorant statements like, why don't we have White History Month? <laughs> Bro, every month's White History Month. Go look at the pictures in the history book. United States of America, every month's White History Month. It's just ignorance, right? Like we, 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 because we don't listen and we just talk we We uh just just don't get i learned something this Black History Month one of the deepest things i've learned by listening and I just want to encourage us as a church to listen we've got one more week of it It's a great celebration for our country. One of our young uh moms um, that I know here she's african American she's raising kids, and uh she and her husband o- over the course of this month teach the kids about. The history of African Americans in our country. We were just talking about it, having a good time, and she, got, she, she brought this to my attention. I, I have never thought about this because look at my skin. I've never, had, I've never had to think about it. She said, It's so hard to teach my children that in this country we were made to be slaves. And I was like, That has never crossed my mind. Now, like, and, and, and I'm passionate about this subject. That's never crossed my mind that I would have to teach my children that the people of the country that I reside in, I'm even proud of at some level, brought us here as slaves. And then she had this amazing statement. i thought about it for weeks. I have to fight hard not to hate. I'm like. When you describe it that way, no wonder. And because she knows the Lord, she knows that you can't go Malcolm X way, right? Take no prisoners. That you have to go Martin Luther King's way. You can't hate. You can't hold a list. You have to move beyond that through this process of forgiveness that actually brings freedom that Jesus promises. I'm afraid, man, our country is so divided right now. <laughs> 2020, great. We're going to have a presidential election. It's going to be horrible, right? Like I, the other night I, put, I had a CNN on one. I had CNN and I flipped over to Fox. I'm like, somebody, they're both lying, right? Like they took the same stat and told a different story. It was so slanted. It was frustrating to watch. Here's what's funny. There's some people in here last election that voted for Hillary. Some of y'all are like, what? You got to be kidding. How could you be? A-? I just, I want to inform you. They're not like Republican Christians and Democratic Christians. They're Christians. That's, that's who we are. The Politics, politics. Been going on for thousands and thousands of years. But somehow, we place our faith in it. And so we literally begin to hate one another over it. What's crazy about churches, we call some of our stuff denominations, which is actually kind of a word that means division. We literally would teach our theology about the God who says that they'll know us by our love for one another. They'll know us by our love for one another, but let me tell you how we're distinct from everybody else. And and oftentimes the distinction then becomes this is how we are what? Better than everybody else. And the next thing you know, we're teaching division. We're dividing the church of God inside. We're actually teaching. I mean, and this is an overstatement slightly, to hate in order to divide. We need to because we want to prop ourselves up. You can do that about this. You can do that about your political preference. You can do that about all kinds of things. And what always shocks me is that we can't. <laughs> oh, man. I went to a Creekside the other day, which is a restaurant in Lexington. It's awesome. It's my favorite place. But every time I come home, Cheryl tells me I stink. Anybody else got this? Like, Evidently, there's like a funk in the air in there, and it gets on my stuff. And I come home, and Cheryl literally will not be in the same room with me. And I'm like, i just assume my wife has a sensitive nose. And so, you know, I'm like, she'll get over it. it be all right. The other day, I come to work here, and grown men told me I stink. It was, I was like, y'all acting like girls. What, what are y'all doing? Like, I don't stink that bad. And now I'm really sensitive. I'm spraying stuff on me and stuff whenever I go. But, like, here's what happens is you sit in Creekside long enough and enjoy the food, and then you stink, and you don't know you stink because you got used to the stink. <laughs> it's kind of what happens with politics. You watch Fox long enough, you start smelling like Fox. And you can't tell what part of it stinks. You watch CNBC long enough, you start smelling like them. You can't tell it stinks. And you walk around, people are like, boy, you stink. It's, it's impacted who you are. It happens with, in church life. We, next thing you know, I'm a Presbyterian Christian. What the heck is that? I'm a Baptist Christian. <laughs> what is that? We're talking about the same Jesus that said we'd be known by our love for one another. And so there's this pushback. That's supposed to be in us because of the Holy Spirit inside us that has this posture of reconciliation, which means for the folks in here that voted for Hillary, you got to be able to listen to the folks in here that voted for Trump. What? Somebody here voted for Trump. Right. And the folks that voted for Trump, you got to be able to listen to the folks that voted for Hillary. You got to actually have a real conversation. As a matter of fact, this whole idea is you watch Joseph live out this posture of reconciliation would tell me that this week you ought to have a conversation with somebody that doesn't look like you or think like you. And you might learn something. Great, great conversation I had. I had a 15-hour drive with a friend of mine named Robert Kimball. He's the pastor of Radius Dubuque, which is in Iowa. It's a church that he and I started together. And we had this amazing conversation where I learned so much by listening. It was 15 hours one way, 15 hours back. So we had 30 hours and we were both hoarse when we got back because we talked the whole time. It was just this joyous time listening to a brother in Christ that votes different than me, that has different life experience than me. It changed me. I'm hoping Radius is going to be that in the places that we live, that we're going to be a group of people that are humble enough to listen. To hear somebody else. So it probably means, you know, just a few weeks left in February, probably go eat somebody that doesn't look like you. And I bet you come way different. Check out the pastor. I could stop right there. We could go all day. Uh, he says he remembered the dreams, verse 9. He remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. And he said to them, and he, and he starts to accuse them. But this really interesting line I don't know about you. He's got the posture of reconciliation, but then God kind of helps him with this posture of reconciliation. He remembered the dreams. He doesn't have a vision. It's not dramatic. I just think it's really cool. He remembered the dreams. If you don't know the whole story, earlier Joseph has these dreams about his brothers bowing down to him. What just happened earlier in this passage? They bowed down to him. And it's like the sovereignty of God. God's plan is starting to come. If you're in a small group, we always have this section where we read through the Bible. and We ask, what does it say about God's plan? In this moment, Joseph is realizing God's got a plan. It's exciting because what that does when, we, when we, our faith is invigorated by something God does, it helps us with our posture of reconciliation. It gives us some strength. Oh, God's doing this. All that suffering for the past 13 years. Seven years that I've been serving Pharaoh, and they're my brothers. Puts him in this posture of reconciliation. and He does what you should do. When you got a bunch of scumbags in front of you that have wronged you, he calls them spies. I love it. Man, it's like, like I don't know if you prank anybody. I, I like pranking people. It's kind of fun to scare people. He, he goes, you, you, you are Spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. you got to believe these boys are sweating puddles right in front of them because their life is on line. This has got to take their life in a minute. No, my Lord, your servants have simply come here to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. And I love this line. We are honest men, sir. <laughs> I bet he looks over at one of the boys like, are you hearing this? We're honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are. You've come here to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We are your servants. Uh, We are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there, and I can imagine him gulping. Joseph hearing this. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our other brothers is no longer with us. Uh, New American Standard says he is no more. Talk about Joseph. Imagine hearing that. Taking that in, and Joseph, if you read the passage again, he accuses them of being spies. He is testing their story, says verse 15. There's this great teaching in the narrative. As you feel the pain of Joseph standing in front of 10 brothers who sold him into slavery. And him working through his emotions. Wanting probably to forgive them, but knowing he should test them. Great lesson for all of us. Like the the people of God are supposed to have a posture of reconciliation. We're supposed to want to forgive. It's supposed to be who we are because the spirit of God has indwelled us. Right? Not some force. The spirit of God. The living God indwells us. So so we're supposed to have this posture of forgiveness. But there's also this, this responsibility we have to move men and women to repentance to actually allow that process to take place. And Joseph is, is a, a master at this. He tests their story. He, uh, if you watch the test, you're like, bro, that's a rough test. He, uh, he, he talks to one of them. He says, I'm going to send one of you to go get baby brother. You bring him back, and that'll prove that you're not spies. So I'm going to put the rest of y'all in jail. So he locks them all up for three days, and uh, after that, he says, "If you're a really honest man, I'm gonna test you." He actually uses the word "test" in NLT. I'm gonna test you, and I want you. To, I'm gonna send one of you back I'm gonna, at first, and then he changes. I'm gonna send nine of you back to get your brother, and I'm gonna keep one of you here. And you'll read the story. We'll get to it next week. You can feel him, one and see, baby brother Benjamin, but also testing these brothers to see if they truly are repentant. Some of y'all have gone through. Horrific stuff. And though you may forgive in your heart someone who is offended or abused or worse, there ought to be a process to them gaining access to you again. Uh, We do this uh, giving money often is a good thing to be slow about it, right? Uh, Restoring somebody in the relationship oftentimes it's really healthy to be slow about it. Let's see. Let's see if they've really changed. There's this uh, some really good stuff out there on repentance to, to test if someone's truly repentant. Because the truly repentant, they'll come back. You don't, have to, you don't have to like just free them the first time. Test them. Test their heart. You're actually blessing them. Sometimes it's even hard for you. You're blessing them. You watch as this story unfolds. Joseph's blessing these boys by testing them. There's a story in the New Testament that Jesus tells. It's a fiction story. Uh, it's, it's called The Prodigal Son. Maybe you've heard it. It's really interesting to me. The father uh, trusts this younger boy with all of his future wealth, and uh, the, the, the boy goes and blows it all. And guess what happens? The father does not come to the rescue, right? He waits. And waits, His heart's literally breaking as he waits for the prodigal son to come home because he needs him to get all the way to. I got some friends right now that I'm waiting to get all the way to repentance. To just to run back and say, I forgive you. We're all good. I mean, I could do that because the Holy Spirit actually helping me have a posture of reconciliation. But I wouldn't be blessing them. I'd just be getting kind of the weight off of me. The idea is to restore them, to actually help them go through the process. And the prodigal son gets all the way to the bottom. And when he comes back to the father, he comes back in the right attitude. And, and then he's restored, and the story is uh, it's rich. And so we uh, we see the brothers with Joseph again in verse 21. And it's it's interesting. They don't know Joseph can speak Hebrew, right? They just assume he's an Egyptian. So they're speaking among themselves. It says, speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his angu- anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. Can you have, imagine having that memory in your head and it coming back to the front? You remember him in the pit screaming your name, Simeon, please, right? And then when they give him to the slave traders and watch him go away as he's screaming, their, they're all that memory's coming back to the front. We saw his anguish when when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not, this is just like brothers, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben says, but you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. It's amazing how time doesn't heal a guilty conscience. Time heals a lot of things, but it doesn't heal a guilty conscience. It just stays on us. Of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, and that when they had been speaking to them through an interpreter, now he turned away from them and he began to weep. You can imagine that as he's listening to them talk about the day when they sold him and he's remembering it as well and it comes to the front. And I don't know about you, but when I cry a lot of times, I got to excuse myself. I got to go to another room cuz I don't really like to see like be seen crying. Joseph's doing the same. He doesn't want he doesn't want to give show his cards yet and so he exits the room and he weeps. Weep is not cry, it's not shed a tear. Sob. I wrote on my page, took him 20 years of training by God, even through suffering, to weep instead of rage. Had he had a different answer right here, 10 guys be dead, Judah, the great, great grandfather of Jesus would be dead. But God had positioned him; He had given this posture of reconciliation when he regained his composure, He spoke to them again, and he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right in front of their eyes and Joseph then ordered the servants to fill the men 's sacks with grain, check this out, still tested them. but he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's pavement at the top of the sack, so you can imagine the sack full of grain and and the pavement at the top of uh, at the top of the sack, probably some sh- sort of uh, cash that they exchanged uh animals for and he also gave the supplies or it could have been gold or precious jewels or something like he also gave them supplies for their journey home and so the brothers loaded their donkeys with grain and headed for home when they stopped for the night and one of them opened the sack to get grain for his donkey and he found the money on the top of the sack and this crazy reaction verse 28 look he exclaimed my money has been returned what happens when you have a guilty conscience You don't celebrate. You haven't been blessed. You've been cursed. My money's been returned. It's here in my sack. And then their hearts sank, trembling. They they said to each other, what has God done to us? This conscience that had been seared, says Chuck Swindoll, starting to soften. So what's really interesting in this story, if you were a Jewish boy or girl, you would know that your great-great-granddad was one of these 12. So the whole story is speaking. And though you're watching Joseph with this posture of reconciliation, you're watching what the scumbags start to break. I know for me, I can relate with both parties. There have been moments where I've been the forgiver, and there have been moments when I've been the one who was offended. They're starting to break. Uh, Psalms, this is actually a psalm written by David where he's he's repented. It says, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Can you feel that in the brother's? Their body, they're wasting away. They've had this thing buried inside and they're still not there. They haven't released it to get relief. But I want us to. In A room like this, it's all kinds of stuff hidden. Always is. And oftentimes those things eat away at our soul. And one of the great Joys in life is when we uh, part with that hidden thing that we once did. Sometimes it's even a little trivial in the grand scheme of things. It's a lie that we tell. and it eats at us. I remember bouncing a check when we were a young married couple, and I got to the mail pack box first, and I did not want Cheryl to know that I wasted $32. Right? That's a little trivial. But it ate at me that I held that. I, I really, eventually, like you break, and it's like you really. She, she got mad, like expected, like it, it didn't all go like rosy. But it, the relief still came, like by getting up. And then, but then there's these. Now, uh, one of the beauties of Radius is we have stories every year of someone finally breaking, bringing in some stuff into the light, and. Uh, Begin to be healed. Marriages, friendships, all kinds of variety of things. So what's beautiful about this passage, as he's writing it to the Jews, for years and years, the Jewish people have heard this story read and told. Probably a lot better than I told it. And every time they hear it, it washes over them. And, and it forms their character, Right? One of the things that we, we love about this story is we're teaching it to, to us at Radius is that it, it could form our character. That, that hearing how Joseph operated, hearing how his brothers operated would form our character. It informs us. We've got to make a decision. Am I going to break and allow God to soften my seared conscience? It's a question to ask today. Some of us relate completely to the scumbag. And some of us have seen something again, somebody that hurt us, and we've seen them recently, or it's a family member. And they've cut in on us again, and we, we thought we had it all done. And we've had to work back and go, no, I, I don't hate, and I, I'm not going to allow that list to reform. I want to be free. I want to be free in Christ. I need to tell you something. God hates. He hates sin. He hates it violently. I'm going to tell you why. Because he loves mankind. He hates sin violently. He proved that on the cross. We remember it every Sunday. He proves that he hates sin violently. I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus, when he's hanging on the cross, you know what does he say? He, he's, he's just been up there a little while, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's this crazy statement where this posture of reconciliation, he's on a mission. He's been on it since birth to set us free from He hates sin violently. He's he's not against the folks in the crowd that are crucifying him. He wants them forgiven. He wants to make them whole. He wants to give them freedom from all this weight that sin brings on him. he, he, He makes seven statements on the cross. The fourth one, he says, my God. My God, why hast thou forsaken me? The way the scripture reads, it doesn't seem like he whispered. It seems like he yelled it. It's the moment where he's taking on the sin of the world. And in in the process of taking on the sin of the world, he's receiving the holy God of the universe, violent action against sin. The wrath of God. All on purpose to reconcile you. Reconcile me. To allow me to call his dad, my dad. To be the prodigal son that's received back. Toward the end, he says, real simple statement. It's finished. So today, though I can relate with the scumbags, I come in, I take bread and juice, and I celebrate. There is no list anywhere held against me because of the blood of Jesus. There is none of that. I'm free. I walk in this room today despite my flaws and sin nature, and I come in free because of the blood of Jesus. And that is something I want you to have. What's interesting is as a follower of Jesus and having followed him for a long time, if I go back to some of my old ways, despite the freedom in Christ, somehow I can re-chain myself. I can, I, I can like, like I... In his mind, I'm clean and free from God's perspective. But somehow when I go back to those old ways, I find myself bound again. Makes no sense. So let me pray about it. Jesus, we confess that at times we forget how much you gave us on the cross. We neglect the freedom that you trusted us with. You know us, Lord. Chase us again today. Lord, we recognize you are the ultimate example of one who wanted to reconcile, who wanted to reconcile so bad, that you would die on our behalf, so that if we believed, you could forgive us of our sins. Thank you. Lord, in our room, you know you know our hearts. You know where there's some stuff hidden and it needs to come into light. Holy Spirit, please, just take this story and and bring some healing in our room. Give folks courage to speak to somebody if necessary or just speak to you in their seat and, and bring that stuff into light so you could heal. Some of us are fighting to stay in the posture of reconciliation, Lord. We turn on the news or whatever's going on, and it just starts to steal our hearts and our souls. Help us, Lord. We want to be like you, and we need help. Your spirit is is plenty powerful, Lord. Help us yield to your spirit. Love our radius well. We love you, Jesus. Listen to us as we worship. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.